the tagline of this movie should be, did you, did you like Halloween, but you really wanted Chuck Norris to be in it and have a karate fight? Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. Well, folks, it's Halloween time in Texas again. But instead of a spooky ghost tale, let's go to the movies, Chuck Norris style. Today, we're watching 1982's Chuck Norris epic, set in Texas, Silent Rage. But first, what's your favorite line from a Chuck Norris movie? Um, I don't recall the exact words or phrasing that he used, but he said it with a roundhouse kick to the face. That would be my favorite uh, uh, Chuck Norris line. Uh, I'm going to go with my kind of trouble doesn't take vacation from the legendary Lone Wolf McQuaid. Oh, that's a pretty good one. Well, I'm going to go back to a great one. Uh, I love the octagon when uh, it's all whispered inner dialogue in a very echoey room. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Ninja ja 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 ja. I must fight him, 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 him. It's a whole movie that's pretty great. And then there's some just awesome like you know, just like ninjas literally just popping out of every nook and cranny. But we're not talking about ninjas today. Today we're talking about Silent Rage. Now this was a 1982 film. Um it's a supernatural slasher horror film starring chuck norris so it's a bit of a of a twist um and uh but but reason you know much like lone wolf mcquade that came out in 83 this one too is set in texas of course the geography is really bad so we're not exactly sure we're in texas and we'll get into a lot of details of the story but uh first i would say that if you haven't seen silent rage Let's take a quick poll. Guys, is it worth three people to stop the podcast and go find this movie and watch it? No. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I want my $4 back. Wow. And it costs to rent this on Amazon. Well, I tell you what, if you're, I will say this, if you want to watch the film, but you don't want to rent it or pay for it, what you can do is you can go to rifttracks.com and the guys behind, uh, some of the guys behind the Mystery Science theater they have done a riff tracks version of of silent rage and so for ten dollars you can download a drm free version of the film that includes them making lots of snarky jokes and comments over the whole thing and that that is actually looks kind of fun yeah and this isn't a rated r movie so there's <laughs> there is nudity in this movie oh uh, yeah that's true good good warning good warning. an interesting up. interesting point chuck norris said that he got a lot of criticism and a lot of comments from his fans over the nudity in this film and he resolved to avoid them in the future because he wanted to make much more family-friendly films now they didn't complain about the violence in the movie the excessive bloody violence in the movie and didn't complain about the violence in subsequent Chuck Norris movies. So he, his movies are plenty violent, but there's, there's not any other adult situations. I'm just so saying, he, listen, I, it wasn't that violent. I mean, if somebody rides past you at 30 miles an hour on a motorcycle and you hit them in the mouth with a broken pool cue, I mean, it's going to be fine. They're not yeah. Gonna, they're not going to have, they're not going to have PTSD and years of reconstructive dentistry. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, so so that's that's kind of the level set. So we've watched it. Um, we've watched it. So you didn't have to. So uh, do you, do you want would... me to? Do you want me to break down my patented crazy Sean McIver? Oh boy, let's go on a journey with Sean and let him start yeah. to recap. I, the I film. can guarantee you that my recap will not be as lunatic as the <laughs> the plot of this movie. <laughs> okay, okay, uh, give us what you got, Sean. Okay, so it starts in this what is apparently a small Texas town in the in the late a seventies, early eighties. I'm sure it's the, it's in the early eighties since that's when the movie's set. Uh, and there's a, I guess it's a boarding house. I'm not sure, but, uh, there's this guy who, uh, is obviously, uh, a, the crazy person in this movie, uh, because he's sweating and profusely and he's got things tacked up to his wall. He lives in this room of this boarding house and there's kids running around, uh, being noisy and acting crazy. And, uh, he gets on the phone and calls uh, uh, his doctor, and he's telling his doctor, "I'm I'm really losing it, doc. I'm losing it." And he's trying to take some pills, and he just kind of drops them, and and basically hangs up on the phone and walks away. And uh, he murders the people in the, the the lady in the in the house and the other guest, the other person that stays in the house, and he kills them with an axe. Yeah, right. Well, they uh, they had a they had they gave you like an interesting point when we get into this movie, but a, they they had some kids running around, but then of course the kids are well in escape. Any kind of uh, yeah, they're, they're sent by their yeah they're sent by their mother off to play in the park, and she says she doesn't want to hear them until they've gotten all their screaming out. So that's a very definite sign that this is the '80s and not <laughs> the modern times. Um, but that saves them. So there you go. Here's a lesson: let your kids go out to the park. Let them go outside by themselves. Um, so anyway, he you know he kills this kills the lady. Uh, she screams out of a window, and a mailman sees it, and he. I guess he calls the cops. The cops show up, and it's it's a sheriff Chuck Norris, and he comes in, and he's got a he's got his his button down shirt and his cowboy hat, and he's got his revolver uh, and his boots in his jeans. So he definitely has, and all the all the all the uh, sheriff's deputies have the same uniform. Like apparently, this is their uniform. Um, and he comes in, and he overpowers the guy, arrests him, and uh, the guy tries to get away, and he breaks breaks out of the handcuffs and. He goes to attack the other cops and they shoot him dead or they don't kill him, but they shoot him. So they take him to the hospital and uh, the psychiatrist who he'd been talking to, uh, he shows up at the scene and he says, this is my patient. Oh, this is terrible. So they take him to the hospital. And then like the next scene is like the psychiatrist doing surgery in the the in the operating room with two other doctors. And I don't understand why the psychiatrist is doing surgery, but he is. Uh, but they just they're not going to make it. Um, and there's an interstitial scene where Chuck Norris is waiting in the lobby and, and they, they, he and, uh, his deputy who is played by the legendary Stephen first, who most people will recognize as flounder from animal house. Yeah, uh, he I is a deputy. He, uh, guess he finally graduated and went on to law enforcement. Yeah. Went into law enforcement. He's flat deputy flounder. He has a conversation with a doctor in the lobby and then flounder says, Oh, this is. His name is Charlie, by the way, but I'm going to call him Flounder from this point on. He says, uh, well, this is a really nice hospital. And this doctor who very blatantly is being dubbed, uh, I mean, his his words do not match his lips at all, says, well, we have a, this is a research facility for many things that we're doing in, in terms of medical research and engineering and blah, blah. So I was like, oh, there's an important plot point. I noticed they hammer it with a hammer at home right there. Uh, at any rate, the head of the hospital is also in the surgery, along with the chief of research, 
who's doing the anesthesia for the patient. Uh, the head of the hospital says, let's use our, let's use our, uh, the, some formula of, uh, that they're working on. And the psychiatrist says, no, uh, you can't do that. It's not been tested on humans. And the other guy says, well, he's about to be dead. But basically the psychiatrist finally talks him out of it and he goes out of the room and says, let's just, let's just let him go. And they turn off the life support. And then the other doctor looks at the anesthesiologist and says, we're going to use it. And they, they inject this violent, gigantic psychopath, uh, who is now dead, uh, with this, regenerative formula and of course that's going to work out well for everyone now now hang on i'm going to pause you there for a second um two points one this is a bit like having your grandfather try to explain to you <laughs> like what he thinks the la latest thor movie was about right. but also uh uh let's not forget but is that, that is it accurate <laughs> painfully accurate Painfully but let's accurate. also keep in mind that that the somewhat ethical doctor, uh, psychologist, psychiatrist, uh, uh -huh. medical researcher is played by the the late great Ron Silver. Uh huh. Famous villain in lots of movies. Plays the plays sort of a good guy here. He's the bad guy in Time Cop. Yeah. A and the the other doctor, the anesthesiologist, also head researcher. Uh, is William Finley, who was most famous for being in a bunch of Brian De Palma movies, including the legendary film, which was filmed in uh, Dallas, The Phantom of the Paradise. Which, that's another Texas movie we should do. Not today. Not, Not today. today. No. But anyway, uh, you, if you see him, you'd recognize him. He's kind of a storky, tall kind of guy. So, so mm -hmm. just to give the long story short, bad guy dies... Mad scientist resurrects him, creates a monster. Sounds right. familiar. Yeah. So, but before all that happens, there's a couple of things that do happen. First of all, the psychiatrist's sister turns out to have been a former flame of the sheriff, Chuck Norris. Uh, and uh, they get back together uh, and have a couple of love scenes uh, for no reason, but they do. Uh, and also, um, I guess a biker gang rolls into town. Um, and this biker game is gang is very different. It is not like they're not really necessarily hell's angels. Um, how did you describe these, this biker gang, Mike? Oh, I just said like, like, uh, I was very proud of this film <laughs> for the high level of diversity that they had both in terms of, uh, height, weight, ethnicity, gender, I mean, it's a real mixed bag of they just basically, I think, found what stuntmen weren't working that weekend and yeah. got them to show up to film a biker bar fight. And the, right. and, the yeah. and there's a whole interaction with this to, to cut to the chase. There's a whole interaction in some bits and we can come back to some of the notable things. But the whole point of showing this gang is that his deputy basically sits in the truck, uh, you know, <laughs> talking on the radio to dispatch because he's not a very good deputy. Meanwhile, Chuck Norris single handedly like cleans up this whole bar and yeah. it is just sort of to show that like what they could have done in, in 30 seconds of just showing like, you know, his world karate championship trophies in his office or seeing like his gi hanging in the closet and said like, okay, the guy's got skills. They had to show him that, you know, he was a mighty man. Except in that fight, there were no roundhouse kicks. Yeah. I, I think that he has a contractual obligation to have at least one 
bar fight with bad guys in his movies because I think yep. every movie have has that. I think they're yeah. a great. I, I, think, I think I think the first uh, actual kick in this film came at the forty-one minute mark. Forty-one minutes into the movie, before there's a kick. No, yeah. he made love yeah. way before that. He made love, <laughs> and he I, also he also had this swanky. This is like a small Texas town, but he had this swanky postmodern uh, bachelor pad that he lived in. That was. I mean, it was definitely not something you'd find anywhere, you know, outside of maybe Dallas. But well, yeah, even gonna, if that, I was gonna say maybe, maybe Oakland, 1982, divorced yeah, dad might have had a cool pad like that. I right, I guarantee right. you that place stank of Old Spice, yeah. like just <laughs> reeked of. And and the love of, theme was by Katie Seagal, right? Yeah, the lovely Katie Seagal who played Leela on uh, Futurama. She's the uh, also and, in and Sons Bundy. of Anarchy, yeah, Peg Bundy. Peg Bundy. Peg Bundy. That's that's She's what people a know very her talented uh, musician turns out, but it's a it's a very cool kind of yacht rocky sort of Yeah. sort of tune, but it's called a uh, it's a song called It's Time for Love. It's yep. the time for love. That's what it, it is. It was yeah. a it's a little bit on the nose. It's super on yeah. the nose. <laughs> especially when they were especially when they were making out on the hammock. That uh-huh. was that was a poignant scene there. Uh so while all this is going on, there's a there's actually a slasher movie going on at the same time as this. Um so the obviously the the crazy person killer uh dead person is now alive. He has uh been resurrected and his body now can heal any wound, uh, so he is functionally immortal. Um, and but he's also mute. It's been his voice has been rendered mute according to the dialogue in the film. Now that's not necessarily supported uh, later on in the film. He doesn't talk, but he does make noise. So uh, they say he can't make a no- any noise at all, and he, yet he later makes noise. So you know, you know what continuity Sean? is important in films. Yeah. And- <laughs> You're you're asking, I mean, listen, you're asking a lot from this film right yeah. now. Like you're really, so, yeah. It, it's not Lawrence of Arabia, okay? Move That's on. That's true. So, uh, the, so Ron Silver is like, ah, he finds out that they've resurrected this guy, and he's not happy. But his his boss tells him, deal with it. And then he goes home to talk to his wife, and and you know, before he goes, he's arguing with his boss, and he's like, he's this guy. He he, I won't say this about anybody, but he deserved to die. He should have been destroyed. Uh, and we should find a way to destroy him now. He should inject acid in his blood and kill him. And uh, then he goes home and he goes to his wife and they're planning a party, birthday party for his sister. Uh, and and they talk about pizza and he breaks his wife's heart because he tells her her uh, cinnamon cake is not good. Uh, that was a major plot point. It was like five minutes. Yeah. Of <laughs> um, yeah. The interesting digressions that this film takes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. fascinating. I mean, it makes it a little special. Well, it makes it a little special yeah. when the when the killer gets out of the hospital and goes to the doctor's house and stalks him and kills him in a most gruesome manner, uh, and then kills his wife when she shows up uh, from the grocery store or actually from getting pizza. Uh, he kills them both, um, and you know, so I, I, there was that was that happened, um, and then the bad guy comes back to the hospital. Um, and he kills the other doctors. Uh, and then he goes uh, to go find uh, the sister, uh, Allison is the sister's name. She's played by the actress Tony Kalem, who was probably most famous for in later recent years, most famous in recent years for being uh, Big Pussy Bumpin' Sarah's wife 
uh, Janice, I think was her name, uh, in The Sopranos, in the early seasons of Sopranos. Um, and she was a soap act- actress. But anyway, uh, he goes to kill her. Uh, she gets away from him a couple of times. Uh, and then finally, they wind up in the hospital. Uh, and uh, Charlie uh, Charlie uh, Flounder is left to protect her while, while Chuck Norris goes to hunt down the killer. But it turns out the killer's in the hospital. And he uh, he kills, mortally wounds poor Flounder and chases after Allison. Uh, and the sheriff, Chuck Norris, comes back and he finds Charlie dying, uh, Flounder dying. And they have a very poignant scene. Does he die or is he just like, is his back broken and he's in bad shape? I think shape. he dies. I think he dies. And Chuck Norris may have really out. tries to emote. He, he tries to emote very, very hard. Almost succeeds in emoting. Uh, and then he goes to go find his girl uh, and to finally find find him. And he saves her in the nick of time. He shoots the bad guy uh, multiple times. The guy falls through a window down two stories to the ground. Um, and they go down to, to escape from the hospital to check on him. And it turns out he's not dead. He stands up. Then uh, Allison runs him over with a car. Uh, and knocks him down, and then he gets up again, and they take off driving, and he grabs onto the bumper of the of the truck that they're driving, and he gets drugged for several miles, and then he climbs in through the car, and they jump out just in time uh, as he's trying to kill them, rescue, he's trying to kill them, and wrest control of the car away, and he fails. The car hits an, hits an embankment and explodes. He comes out on fire, and he jumps into a lake, and he's dead, but he's not. He comes out of the lake again. Uh, and so, you know, they've just shot, uh, defenstrated through a window, which threw him out a window into the ground, um, ran him over with a car, drug him, caught him on fire, drowned him, and he's still not dead. And so what happens? Chuck Norris engages in hand-to-hand combat because that's the right move to make. And I think that's the point where the roundhouse kick happens, right? Yes, the I actually marked that down. The first roundhouse kick, real roundhouse kick, was at an hour and thirty-three minutes and eighteen seconds into the film. Yeah. That's a crime. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and this that's is that's the real fight crime of this too. movie. Yeah, that's a long fight scene too. That's like after about six or seven minutes worth of fighting, and like this guy is unstoppable, and yet you're going to try to beat him down. Um, it ultimately. Chuck Norris manages to roundhouse him, kick him, roundhouse kick him, and then throw him into a well that they conveniently find nearby. And it goes all the way down to the bottom of the well. And at last, they're safe and they can, Dan and Allison, or Chuck Norris and Allison can leave. And deep in the well, the bad guy's head bursts out of the water and he's still alive. So, yep, that was the last freeze frame shot. Freeze frame shot. Um, yeah. And I challenge you that was that as disjointed and crazy as that description was. There's a lot we missed. That was a lot we missed, but that was an accurate depiction. Okay. So I want to point out too, for people who watch this, I did find out, I can't remember who it was, but I was, I was flipping through and looking up stuff on silent rage because I love you guys. And I really want to do the hard stuff and, and save you from this end of the internet. But I did find a person who'd actually, who does a series of short videos about like bad movies and uh, had an interesting point that you, you could tune in 
to this movie at certain points and you could watch a little snippet and you'd feel like you were watching three different movies. <laughs> yeah. Like it's very tonally like it's like somebody was like coming out of the building and somebody was coming into the building and then they ran into each other and the yeah. scripts got all messed up on the ground. Yeah. Well, I mean, the whole scene and the whole bar fight, all I could think was like, man, this could be every which way but loose. Yeah, we're Cannonball Run. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that that is absolutely true. It's like it's like the tagline of this movie should be, do you like did you like Halloween, but you really wanted Chuck Norris to be in it and have a karate fight? Uh, do you like do you like soft rock and romance as well yeah. as mad scientists? Yeah. Are you having a series of small strokes? Then so this I movie's was, for you. <laughs> so I also was looking up some interesting facts about this movie, and this is actually the first film that uh, Chuck Norris made with his own Top Kick Productions uh, company. Um, so this is his first, the first movie that his company produced. Uh, that when then went on to produce both Lone Wolf McQuaid and Walker Texas Ranger. But also notable is that this is the first role in which Chuck Norris portrays a Texas lawman. So this is the That's true pre precursor to Walker, Texas Ranger. And Lone Wolf McQuaid. Well, that's it's the precursor to Lone Wolf McQuaid. The pre precursor to Walker. He well, also he also had a very small things. mustache. That that was disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> well, you okay, get a very small mustache. And the thing um, you forget about Chuck Norris from this year is there's like a shift of when you see him in Lone Wolf McQuaid, he's he's dirtied up his look a bit. He's changed up his look a bit. And this, in all of the movies from this point going back into his 70s film, and I'm not saying that I'm an expert or, or well-versed in like the entire Chuck Norris catalog, but I am saying that it is a potential lifestyle that you should consider. I have a pamphlet. Um, no, his, he, he has this very clean cut blow dried super blonde hair and then when they have him in like the exterior shots like he just he it's it's a little weird because he just he his hair kind of is this light blonde glistening thing and it's super parted and very like coiffed and it's a little distracting it needs to be a little mussy it needs a little grease in it i like him i like the dirty mcquade um no it's it's uh but the mustache yes Today it would just be creepy. <laughs> um, yeah. For the record, uh, we first see Chuck Norris without his shirt on at 15 minutes into the film. <laughs> oh no! Not only with his shirt off, is that uh, he's in the hospital with his shirt off, but his gun. <laughs> wearing his gun, <laughs> he's like standing there having a conversation with the doctor, with his pistol, like big old pistol strapped to his hip. You're like, maybe you want to. Yeah. Leave the gun in the truck while we're getting the x-rays? Uh, no. no. No, I don't. No, you don't. No. No? <laughs> All right, well, how about this? There's a... Uh, wh- I, why should... Let's list a few things that you, you should at least find in clips or things that are good to see in it. Things that you go, I'm glad I saw that. Well, um, the, it struck me at the very beginning, that opening scene um, where the killer makes his first... Uh, takes his first victims. Um, that whole opening scene, I thought, was really well constructed and really well shot. It was not a complete one take, but um, the middle, probably eighty percent of that whole sequence, 
was uh, all like one steady cam shot, or maybe not steady cam, but uh, it, it, there were no cuts. So you kind of went from you know upstairs to downstairs. You're looking out the window. The kids are playing outside. Then you come back in and look at the mom in the kitchen. Then you pan the other way, and there's the guy on the phone. It it just it all flows together really well. And I thought, huh, this might actually turn out good because this is not uh, this is not awful. Um, you know, then the movie really starts. But at the beginning, uh, I thought it looked really good. Yeah, I mean, there was there was elements of a good horror movie in here, of a good slasher movie in here. The music was great. I thought the music was really good. Now, was it was it recycled? I'm positive that it was recycled. It was probably used in previous movies and probably would be used in later <laughs> horror movies. Uh, but it was that atonal, um, you know, oppressive sound, multi, you know, single tones repeated, um, similar to what you'd hear in like the, the Friday, the 13th movies. Well, it's, 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 it, I would say it's an homage. It's, it's, um, it's stock. It was stock film. Oh, it, it is, stock, but it's, 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 it's kind of like, it, so I just say, it reminded me a lot of, of John Carpenter. Like if John Carpenter was like just bored and noodling around on the keyboard, this is what he'd come up with. Well, okay. Yeah. Except, you know, he'd do much better. <laughs> no, actually there were, um, speaking of fun facts, um, there were two other Norrises that were on the crew for this movie. There are three members of the family, obviously Chuck Norris. Um, but then the stunt coordinator, associate producer Aaron Norris, and production assistant Mike Norris. So um, it was a Norris family project. Um, and speaking of things that we liked about it, um, I think I commented in, in real time uh, that some of the stunts I thought were particularly well done and well staged. And um, it actually showed, I, think, I said, I think this was like more than half their budget for these stunts. And it turns out that... Uh, those were um, the comment that I saw was that they were exceedingly complex for the time that it took a lot of time to, to set up those stunts, uh, you know, with the jumping out the window and the, the getting hit by the truck and all of that stuff was all pretty, uh, pretty complex for 1982. Well, I think the number I saw for the budget around this was I think 5 million and I think it made around 10. So it, it well and cleared above its budget. So it wasn't like a, a big flop or something. I think, and, and we can. I'd like to talk a little bit more about 1982 in a few minutes. But but it was, you know, I think it was just it was a action film for its day. It came out in April. You know, it's one of those kind of mid-April releases. So, yeah. So the music composer was Peter Bernstein, who actually has a number of credits of some films I actually like. He did the the 13 Days to Glory uh, movie about the Alamo with Alec Baldwin that I love. Uh, he also did. The scores for both of the Ewok movies. So there you go. There you go. And then you wow. need a bunch of TV. Bunch of, t- bunch of TV. I've just heard a million Star Wars nerds cry out in relief. <laughs> no, I think what would be interesting to, to see about this film, though, is there's this kind of criticism of, oh, you know. But if you look at everybody who's in it, they're all... And, you know, you know, Chuck is Chuck, and then you have Ron Silver who went on to do all this stuff. You have people who went on to be have very successful acting careers that kind of came out of this. There's a bunch of famous stuntmen that are actually involved in the picture, uh, and then on top of that, like um, the guy who plays the what's the name of the guy who plays the the villain? David yeah. Keats, who was in uh, 
Shawshank he Redemption. In, he's in the Shawshank was, Redemption. Yeah, he's in. He's one of the. He's one of the inmates in the Shawshank Redemption that hangs out with Andy Dufresne on the roof that day, mopping right. hot. Right. He also tar. was in uh, Death Wish. He played uh, Charles Bronson's son-in-law. He's been in. He's you know. So so the thing it's is. Yeah, they're, these guys are, are quality actors. They're they're all very talented. They've been in a lot of stuff, um, and and you go, okay, well, this you know this was, you know, a relatively low you know kind of as a low bar, but it was exciting kind of early film for some people, and you know you get to watch Chuck kick stuff after an hour and forty five minutes. So let's talk about what makes this a Texas movie. Well, um, it stars Chuck Norris. So that's a that's a big thing right there. But it was actually entirely shot in Texas as well. And I think that that kind of carries through in the kind of the look of things. Um, unlike a lot of other movies that are supposedly set in Texas, there was nothing in this that jumped out at me as, hey, there's no way that could be in Texas. Although he did say that he was going to take her to a mountain cabin, which makes me wonder what part of Texas they were in. But overall, there was nothing that jumped out at me. Well, if he was, I mean, it's not that far to Colorado, I guess, if you know. <laughs> You could go to Arkansas. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's true. It could be Arkansas. But it is interesting to see, like, there's a scene when he's in his swinging bachelor pad, and you see, like, off his back deck, you see these rolling hills with this lush, like, mm-hmm. trees. And then when you see the street sides, it's sort of kind of dusty streets and small town seems like kind of a small town not not tiny town just i get the feeling it was something it was i get the feeling like it was kind of like something yeah i got the feeling it was more like a like a suburb of houston like just like a like like spring or tomball or something like that that's that's the feeling i got out of it they make reference to i-45 but then they also make reference to harry hines so Maybe it was like a like suburb of Dallas, so I don't know. <laughs> well, that, there was, that, there, yeah. Well, the actual place that they filmed all the medical stuff was called the Wadley Institute of Molecular Biology, and it's an interesting place. There's not a lot of data on it, and so any medical geeks out there that know some Dallas medical history can chime in and send us a note on this. But what I could find is that the building itself has been demolished, because on <clears throat> on Google Maps, there's now just a big dirt field. Uh, looks like <laughs> some construction is happening there. But uh, and then I did some Googling around. So it was a research center. It was a biomedical research center. They did animal testing there. And they also did a lot of blood storage, blood management, blood services there, which is the molecular medicine part of it, I think. And then I found from 1983, there's actually a documented court case where uh, they had gotten sued and lost because they had given tainted blood and they'd infected somebody with AIDS accidentally because there was AIDS contamination in some of the blood supplies. So they were liable for that all the way back in 83, uh, which is interesting. So it it changed names a few times and then eventually was absorbed into what I believe is now Carter Blood Care. And it has moved it moved all over the place when they changed headquarters and did things. But uh, that that's a, there's a weird medical history of that building. One of the jokes that the uh, Mystery Science Theater guys say about it is, it's not so much suspense as it is a dark industrial tour of, of you know, corporate buildings. Because there's a lot of just slow <laughs> pans down the hallway with nothing happening for long chunks of the movie. Yep. Well, that's, that's suspense. You never know what's going to happen. 
Um, the other Texas thing I guess I'd say about it, like is you know they I don't know they just it's Chuck it's Chuck Norris trying you know playing dress up as a cop in Texas, so can't go wrong there. It's a pretty darn Texas thing. It's just nice to know that this is the first one that happens. Other interesting things that appeal to me is the fact that you know yes Sean calls him Flounder, but for those of you who are fans of the old Babylon Five show. Uh, you will remember him and Flounder played Veer, sort of the um, assistant to one of the ambassadors on the space station. So it's interesting to me that this year he played, um, he had a deputy partner in this young cop who eventually grew up to become the space ambassador. And then the next year he would star in Lowell McQuaid with Robert Beltran, who would become Chicote. So... You know, if you want to be a TV astronaut, you just need to stand close to Chuck Norris. Yes. And uh, Stephen First, who played Charlie, uh, was also in the 1980 classic, uh, I believe it was 1980, uh, Midnight Madness, one of my favorite films of the era. Yeah. Look it up. He will, he will always be flounder to me. Sorry. Love him, but he's flounder. <laughs> <laughs> he is. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. Well, let's talk a bit just about the landscape when this movie came out. It came out in April of 82. And I, I'll harp on this for just a second. Do yourself a favor. Just look up 1982 movies and you'll be surprised. This was number, I believe, 65 um, as far as box office goes for, for 1982. Some movies you might remember from 82 would be things like E.T. or Tootsie or Porky's. Gandhi. Yep. Annie. First Blood. The Dark Crystal. Conan the Barbarian. I mean, it a goes little, on. A little, a little film. Did you did you say it? A little film called Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Now, I did mention that. But how about Tron or Sophie's Choice? Yeah. Or, or Garth. Firefox. 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 Conan the Barbarian. Yeah, I know. It's yeah. a great introduction of Arnold Schwarzenegger. To I me. mean, so, yeah. the point is, is like almost any weekend in America, you could go to the movies and see something great. <laughs> and and it, get this, by 1982, there had already been three Friday the 13th. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 it's all right. And You're... three Rockies, well, but that's okay. Rocky understood, but three Friday the 13th people. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, it was a great time for movies, and Chuck tried to cash in on it, and this was his first step into putting on the badge. Well, I gotta, we gotta, we gotta, gotta, gotta. We live in an age of reboots. Let's do a fantasy casting for a modern well, version. And do you reboot or do you sequel? Let, well, let me, let me blow your mind here. Let me blow your mind with something. There is a remake of this movie. Yes. That was straight to video. <laughs> I just looked that up. <laughs> 2009 called Indestructible. And it's it looks like it was filmed with like a... GoPro, if at best, uh, an early generation GoPro. Um, but let me even blow your mind even further. There are three sequels to this oh, video. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yes, it's called Indestructible. Then there's Indestructible Afterlife in 2018. Then there's another one coming out next year called Indestructible Reckoning. And they've already got a sequel planned, Indestructible No Place to Hide. Nice. In 2020. Wow. Can you believe that? All right. Well, that, all right. <clears throat> so your uncle takes over <laughs> as the chairman of a very large movie studio and says, listen, I've got the rights to this 82 Chuck Norris film. 
we've shut down that indestructible thing due to some legal wrangling or that you're going straight to video. We're going to do a big picture. I'm going to get you, I don't know, $130 million budget. Get yourself a couple of big stars. Who you go get? Well, um, I immediately thought that uh, for the character of Dr. Philip Spires, the evil uh, scientist experimenting on the the uh, psycho killer. Um, he already had as a physical resemblance, but I said that uh, if they do a reboot. They need to do that with uh, Michael Shannon. I think he would fit that role very oh well. Oh my gosh! I think Just that I think quietly would... creepy, stoic. I'm doing it all for the science sort of attitude. Oh, I think he would chew the scenery up beautifully. Uh, I mean, I think I have to to tap that. I think I threw it out there earlier when we were on uh, Slack. I think it's got to be The Rock. I yes. think this is just a rock vehicle because, <laughs> you know, he's he's fought a skyscraper now. He's fought 150-foot <laughs> monsters with his bare hands. What he hasn't it, really done a suspense film. What What is left to climb? Yeah, what's left to climb? He can do comedy. He can sing. He can dance. He can be charming. We get it. He needs some suspense in there. I think this would be, I think, Michael Shannon and The Rock... And and then who do you have play the Ron Silver sympathetic character? Yeah, I don't know. I was struggling with that one at first. I was going to say Ron Silver, but uh, unfortunately he passed away. Yeah, um, he died. So I don't I don't know who would fill the the Ron Silver role, but I do know that as uh, the sheriff's trusty deputy, um, I would cast uh, Patton Oswalt. Oh my I gosh. Think I think genius great in that role see and that's I smart think, because that's like when they put shane black in in uh predators like we have you on set for the rewrite yeah i i think the uh the ron silver character needs to be played by a woman uh so i'm gonna oh. go i'm gonna go with uh uh who's the lady that's on how to how to get away with murder Viola Davis. I'm gonna go with Viola Davis. Oh, I like this. Now yeah. this is and then and then the uh, the weedy kind of uh, gawky guy that that plays the anesthesiologist slash researcher who who is the Phantom of the Paradise. I'm gonna go Jim Parsons from Big Bang Theory. Really, really. Yeah. Wow. Oh, good choice. Uh, it's and, not the, bad. and the yeah the romantic lead. Okay. Uh, let's go the female lead. Now let me ask you this. Hang on. But... I don't know. It, well, I think the female lead needs to be somebody, you know, the the lady they cast is uh, is his kind of on again off again. I like the fact that she was, uh, you know, he was like super blonde. She was kind of she had she was kind of a, a you know had the mousy brown. I like thought she had a great like on screen presence. It, she they, she didn't she had a great on screen like I liked her presence on screen. So I think it'd have to be somebody that really brings that. I'm trying to think of somebody. But it can't be a traditional final girl role. I mean, that, that was the role of the, the original, was the, well, was the final girl. Well, I, so I think anybody I think, who's, who's tough yeah. enough to, to dump the rock and then later get back together with them, like, well, you know, hmm. How about, how about uh, Tessa Thompson, who played Valkyrie in uh, The Last Storm of the, and she was in Creed also. She, I think she's pretty great. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think I can see a Tessa Thompson type. Uh, you yeah. want, how about this? Let me throw this out before we get to the to the bad guy. Let's let's take it back. Who's gonna be the biker gang guy? The short guy that acts like a gorilla. Yeah, the short <laughs> yeah. floppy hat. Yeah, 
And then if we have time, we should go through like fun nicknames for fat bald guys, <laughs> fat strong bald guys, because they call him uh, curly, and I'm like, that's just not original. <laughs> no, I think like it would it would be fun to like I if you're gonna keep something like it'd have to be a modernization of that. Uh, but we'll, but uh, you know I don't know who who that would be. I don't know. That's tough. That's a tough cast. Lynn Manuel Miranda. I don't know. You, you kind of got to go. Kind of got to. Can't fill that up with names because you do only have a hundred million dollars. So. It's true. It's yeah. true. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're we're gonna shoot it in like. Look, there's plenty of stock we're, actors. We're gonna shoot in 24 can... days. We're gonna have a really tight shooting schedule. <laughs> um, I guess let, so. Let's let's get to it. Who's the big? It's funny you say that because uh, that original bar fight in the original film took them like four days to shoot. You know who I would cast for the big bad guy. I would totally go, and maybe it's stunt casting. I would get the new young guy who is playing Chewbacca in the solo movies, and in the, oh. the guy who's taking over for Peter Mayhew, because yeah. he's giant. We just, you know, he just beefs up, and he's really tall. So it's like, you know, but they gotta, you know, here's the thing: like that guy seemed imposing to Chuck Norris, who, God bless Chuck Norris, but he's all of four foot two feet tall. So, you know, The Rock's a big dude. You got to have somebody that, like, is imposing to The Rock. Well, you know, here's the thing, though. I mean, Andrew Bronowski, right? Andrew Bronowski is still around. You know, he hasn't done a movie in a while, but he's he's still around and he's still a big dude. Maybe him. I don't know. Also, also take advantage of The Rock's connections. There's plenty of wrestlers that could probably do pretty well in in such a role and have a breakout role so oh i like now i like where you're going on this like just a giant giant mountain of man yeah yeah sure but it could be an older guy doesn't have to be a young like doesn't have to be a super young guy either because he's been chemically altered and enhanced yeah i want to watch this movie now but not this movie we watched (laughs) I want to watch watch the movie you described and that we just fantasy cast because I'm like, this sounds like, you know, it may be dumb at points, but boy, they really like those effects are great. Here's a weird, a couple of weird things about this movie that, that stuck out to me in, and I think part of why it doesn't work is that there's the tropes that come with these genre movies. So when we see a slasher flick, there's things we expect to happen and then those things don't really happen. Um, there's no there's no moral consequence for sexuality that generally happens, where it's like, oh, there's teenagers and they're fooling around, and because they were fooling around, they get killed by the supernatural monster that's hiding in the woods. Or yeah, there's that's, that's the the standard trope for the slasher films. And his but there's, murders. But there's, there's also there's, no yeah, but there's also no moral consequence <clears throat> for the, the 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 Frankenstein myth, right? The 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 Prometheus, Prometheus syndrome, which is the meddling with with death, life and death. There's no real moral consequence. I yeah. mean, yeah, the the bad guy gets killed, but so does good people. So and and like, Chuck never struggles like as a as a hero should in these films that yeah. much. Like there's, he's there's never no hero cycle. No. <laughs> it's a... there's all all these tropes just <laughs> they just don't don't go anywhere. And that, that's why I said like and also. Yeah, I agree with that. The other thing is this movie looks dated. This does not look like it's in, in 1982. Well, look look at every movie that's made in 82 at the same time using yeah. the same camera technology and film stock. And you watch it and you'll be like, this this does not look like any of these films. I, I know. I said I said when we were talking, this is the worst movie. This looks <laughs> like the worst movie of 1978. 
And there was plenty of bad movies made in seventy. And it's like no, yeah, but it's made nineteen eighty two. So that's that the reason I said that. It it looks it just doesn't look like a modern movie, like even a modern nineteen eighty two movie. Well, just like from a script and a structure piece and watching it, I think that's the thing that throws you off is is like you're not you're not challenged, you're not taken anywhere. It it plays almost like a bottle episode of like Walker, Texas Ranger, or like two episodes of Walker, Texas Ranger, but like really bad ones. I don't know. There's just something about the fact that it doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't take you and it doesn't challenge you. Uh, and I think that that's, that's part of it is that if the, if the superhuman slasher killed a lot more people, you would feel, you know, that one story. If it was more of the Frankenstein story, then that would be fine. But I feel like what they did was they took a bunch of ingredients, they put them in the pot to make stew, and they forgot to turn on the heat. And you're just like, this is just gross carrot water <laughs> with chunks of raw meat floating in it. What's going on here? Yeah. Who's hungry? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not Chuck's best effort, but it is his best effort in Texas for 1982. Yeah. Well, and I think it's... it's uh interesting to see like i said that since this was the first time that he played a texas lawman um kind of that prototypical um prototypical character that then became lone wolf mcquade and eventually walker texas ranger because it's the same kind of attitude the same blue jeans and plaid cowboy shirt sort of swagger um it's definitely fits that character at least definitely fits the uh, Chuck Norris uh, template. Very much now, so. Now, the movie around him, maybe not so much. Um, you can tell they intentionally downplayed the karate, which uh, is not probably what a lot of people would expect from a Chuck Norris movie. And, uh, But, yeah, I mean, it, it has its good parts, but uh, overall, uh, I'm, I'm not sure you should uh, go out of your way to catch this one. Yeah, we we watched this so you don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, we did. We did. But, you know. Yep. <laughs> I don't know. What, I mean, what else is there to say? There's nothing um, to say. It's bad geography. It's a rough script. You know, it's a rough mustache. Um, I don't know. Did we did we there's some things that I'm not sure we covered. Um did we talk about the Charlie doing the you talking to me monologue? Oh no, we in the didn't. mirror. Oh no, I forgot. That is actually that's a big you know, it's something that was so iconic in um Taxi Driver. Yeah. And then it shows up in like movies and cartoons and all over the place and there he is doing it. Yeah. Um and also I'd I'd have to go back and watch it, but apparently there is a part in uh obviously there are current um people in Hollywood that are fans of this movie because there is a scene in um, the movie Hot Fuzz where one of the characters is looking through a bunch of DVDs for sale and he picks up a copy of Silent Rage and uh, reads the description of the movie um, with uh, and, particular oh. uh, enthusiasm. So I, I think that's, uh, to me, that's an indication that uh, Edgar Wright is probably a fan of this movie for some yeah. reason. Gosh, we should have just watched Hot Fuzz. Well, how about the scene? <laughs> how about the scene where Charlie, where Deputy Flounder, tells Chuck Norris confesses that uh, 
when he was a kid, he stuck his dog in the oh, freezer. In the freezer. <laughs> and he must have been barking to get out because he was his frozen mouth was with wide his mouth open. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's there's like, some... What? <laughs> that part is great. There's like there I mean, you know I mean the part where he's sitting the part where he's sitting out in the in the car talking to the dispatcher is funny yeah, because when he's supposed to be calling for backup. He's calling for backup, but he's I also think, enamored. I think I'm this, in love. Yeah, he's enamored of this biker girl who's who's like been flirting with him all day. And he's like, I I I'm I think I'm in love. I'm gonna go walk in there and I'm gonna ask her out. And then all of a sudden, he's Chuck Norris has defeated almost everybody in the bar. And well, you hear and yeah, somebody the, scream. and then the motorcycle flies out of the out of the bar and through he, the window. Then he freaks out. Mayday! Mayday! Yeah. And another interesting thing I just read about that bar where they shot that. Apparently, that it was a famous Dallas bar called the O One Blues Bar. I think. Yeah, yeah, the O One Blues Bar was a, a Dallas hangout of the Texas Rangers baseball team. So. Uh, that breakaway window, it took them an entire day to set up that shot. And they had to do it all in one take. Wow. So, again, stunts were probably a large part of the budget on this movie. Well, there you go. I mean, it's probably why you watch... Uh, it's why we love Megaforce. <laughs> which also came out in 1982. <laughs> but did not star Chuck Norris. <laughs> did not star... Man, start a very uh, Chuck Norris looking uh, Barry Bostwick. Yeah, but I'll be honest with you, and I like Barry Bostwick, but Barry Bostwick is no Chuck Norris. No, no he is not. Um, you know, the, yeah, the, I, this this movie was terrible. I'm sorry, this movie was not, <laughs> this movie wasn't even canon good. It wasn't no, even that's... as good. Like you got canon movies which are all awful, but then yeah, okay, well, break in is a terrible movie, but it's, it's entertaining and it's good. It's got a quality of its own. It, it, this movie doesn't have that. And, and this movie is not made by Canon. This movie was made by Columbia pictures. Yeah. Columbia pictures. Major, Columbia. Major, major release. Who major made, release. They made Tootsie. They made, <laughs> they made Ghostbusters. They made, they made Ghostbusters two years later and made a billion dollars. Yeah. They, they, this is made from, this is coming from a very quality <laughs> studio. We were yeah, just this like, is not, this is not Canon. This is not, uh, the Salkin brothers. This is Columbia Pictures. <laughs> if, so, pro tip. And, and, now, and he uh, found his home at Canon. Okay, like, here, that is a thing. It's like, <laughs> well, they're gonna put they're gonna put too much nudity in my movies at these <laughs> studios, and and I'm not gonna get to do the things that my fans want. I'm gonna go work for the Canon Films. I'm gonna go make <laughs> anyway. Firestarter. But you know, here's the thing, or whatever it's called. No, here's the thing. For those who have come low these many five years to know Scott and Sean and I as weekly friends you listen to, uh, if you want to get Sean going, this is the kind of stuff you got to do. This and inaccurate history just really get him going. <laughs> or try to serve... Yeah, what? I'd say, and he will not rage in silence. No. Or try to serve him peaches. That's about yeah. it. <laughs> those are the three things if you really want to make his blood boil. I mean, listen, I, I'm sorry I made you watch this film. I'm sorry, but, and, uh, you know, maybe it's not the most Halloween-y thing out there. I hope everybody has a great Halloween, and I hope everybody has a lot of fun. Uh, it's always a great fall holiday, a lot of rain and cool weather, get a little break from the summer for two and a half weeks. But uh, don't watch this movie. Watch something else from 1982. Watch anything else from 1982. Yeah, anything. Watch The Last Unicorn. 
Uh, go back and watch the town of dread and sundown like that movie was actually marginally better. Mm, that's a push um yeah it is a push whoo yeah we've 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 made you guys sit through some horror stinkers we'll have to find a good horror film why didn't if we do you the know texas, of a good texas horror why didn't we do the texas chainsaw massacre how many uh so on a scale of one to five uh how many roundhouse kicks to the face do you give it i don't know I think there was only one that was worth talking about. One roundhouse kick. Yeah, I think it's a one. I think it's one out of five. I mean, I'm gonna put Lone Wolf up there like a, at like five, but this is a one, and only separated by a year. What a difference a year makes for Chuck Norris films. It was better than Firewalker. Well, Firewalker <laughs> gets zero roundhouses to the face. Yeah, I'm gonna say negative sixty. <laughs> you just, you're just hating things. Are you work for the? You work for one of the new fancy New York City movie time papers, Mister Movie Man, with your fancy movies. Hey, I, I'll, I'll tell you this: T- Turner Classic Movies has shown this movie. <laughs> Turner Classic Movies showed Silent Rage. Yes, yes. Oh if there's an entry at the Turner Classic archives of oh my god they've shown it that's the best news i've heard all day because i'm picturing yeah. some like person waiting for like torah 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 or midway or something to come on <laughs> and they're like what is this movie uh, they, oh they, my god they sh- saturday nights they, they they show some pretty pretty out there <laughs> films, <so. laughs> oh boy when the old folks are asleep Woo. good times good times everybody all right, well, I'm just going to say, hey, thanks for listening. Have a great Halloween. Um, October's sure been fun. We'll see you folks in November. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstaple.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstaple.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two ends. And I'm Scotticus. If you love this show, tell your friends and go leave a review on iTunes because that really helps us out to find people just like you. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please visit patreon.com slash Texas Podcast, where you too can become a Come and Take It Texas Ranger. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.